All right, we're going to go ahead and get started. For those of you that weren't here on Sunday, we went through a lesson called When God Becomes Your Enemy. And one of the parts of the lesson that I wasn't able to get to was Psalm 78. And I felt like Psalm 78 really tied into the lesson, but it, it just there's always just more there than, than you have time to get into. But uh, what I wanted you guys to look at, reminder here, is Jesus died in about 33 AD, right? Depending on what you're looking at, 30 AD, 33 AD. But that's when Jesus died. Um, 500 BC, what's a major character or something that, that, that you can name about 500 BC? Getting our thinking caps on again. Daniel. What's that? Is it Daniel? Yes, so Daniel, okay? And Daniel was where? So if you can connect Daniel with being in Babylon, right? So they had been taken out of Israel, out of Jerusalem, taken to Babylon. If you can keep that date in your mind, so as I'm trying to remember what happened. Um, and then 725-ish, anybody know? This is around the time of Isaiah, which is what I preached out, preached out of. And uh, so this is when they went into Babylon, and this is when they went into um, Assyria. Okay, so the, the ten tribes, so there were ten tribes that, that went into Assyria, and then the two tribes went into Babylon about 250 years later. But um, how about a thousand? Yes, this is David, right? And this is when all of, this is a lot of the, the book of Psalms. Um, a bunch of those were written. It was during the time of uh, King Solomon, so Proverbs. And, but it's also the uh, United Kingdom, right? That was when the kingdom was united. David was able to unite all 12 tribes and, and bring them all together, right? So that happened about 1000 B.C., um, 1500, who's a major character? Moses. <laughs> Moses, right? And this is when they were freed from, basically they came out of Egypt, right? And so they, they were brought out of Egypt to uh, the wilderness. So they, they, they go into the wilderness for how long? 40 years. And then eventually they got to go into the promised land. Right, they eventually get to go into the promised land there. So that's uh, some some dates to try to help remember. And just so we're, while we're at it, 2000 BC is approximately who? Right. So Abraham is approximately 2000 BC. Okay. If you guys can keep a couple of those things in mind as I'm reading the Bible, I'm like, okay, where am I in the Bible? And so Psalm 78 would approximately be about here-ish. Maybe Psalm 78 is right in here somewhere. Okay? So that's about, about where we're at. Okay? So Psalm 78 is going to give us a recap of, of some of all of this stuff that's, that's going on back here. And, um, and so we're not going to do all of it because Psalm 78 is the second longest psalm 
And the longest is what? What's the longest psalm? Psalm 119. Very good. So Psalm 78 is the second longest, right? So this is the second longest psalm. And uh, so I want us to, to look at a couple of things here. I'm not going to go through all of it because of just how, how big it is, but I hope that you can kind of see some sections. And if you want to read along, um, you, can, you can read along with me here. I'm reading out the New American Standard. Listen. Listen, Linda. Listen, oh my people, to my instruction. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. Pay attention to that. Our fathers told us of these things. We will not conceal them from our children, but instead will tell the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wondrous works that he has done. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should teach them to their children, that the generation to come might know, even the children yet to be born, that they may arise and tell them to their children, that they should put their confidence in God and not forget. That's something that you guys got to remember as, as we're reading this. They, were, they, they should put their confidence in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. Do not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that did not prepare its heart and whose spirit was not faithful to God. The sons of Ephraim were archers equipped with bows, yet they turned back in the day of battle. They, didn't, they did not keep the covenant of God. They refused to walk in his law. They forgot, there it is again, they forgot his deeds. They forgot his miracles, that all he had shown them. He wrought or brought forth wonders before their fathers in the land of Egypt, in the field of Zoan. He divided the sea and caused them to pass through. He led them by the cloud. He split the rocks. He brought abundant drink he brought streams and on and on i mean do you guys see like he's he's reminding them of all of these things he's he's showing them of what god was doing and what the people were doing so in my bible i have underlined like in verse um like in verse nine i have they turned back they did not keep the covenant they refused to walk in his love. They forgot his miracles. Then you go down to verse uh, 17. After all these things that God had done, brought them out of Egypt, brought them water, brought all these things, all these miracles. Verse 17, yet they still continue to sin against him, to rebel against the Most High in the desert. And in their heart, they put God to the test by asking food according to their desire. 
Then they spoke against God. They said, Can God prepare a table in the wilderness? Behold, he struck the rock so that waters gushed out and streams were overflowing. Can he give bread also? Will he provide meat for his people? Therefore the Lord heard and was full of wrath. And a fire was kindled against Jacob. And anger also mounted against Israel because they did not believe in God. They did not trust in his salvation. Yet he commanded the clouds above and opened the doors of heaven. He rained down manna upon them to eat, gave them food from heaven. Man did eat the bread of angels. He sent them food in abundance. He caused the east wind to blow in the heavens, and his, by his power he directed the south wind when he rained meat upon them like the dust, even winged fowl like the sand of the seas. Then he let them fall in the midst of their camp, round about their dwellings, so they ate and they were filled, and their desire he gave to them. Before they had satisfied their desire, while the food was in their mouths, the anger of God rose against them and killed some of their stoutest ones and subdued the choice men of Israel. In spite of all of this, they still sinned and did not believe in his wonderful works. So he brought their days to an end in futility and their years in suddenness was sudden terror. Right? So, are you guys seeing just how is the psalmist trying to remind the people? He, he's, he's trying, he's like, let me give you a brief history going back over here. Let me, let me share with you all of this history, hundreds and hundreds of years of history. Let me tell you what God has done. And let me remind you so that you don't forget because God's people forgot. And when they forgot, they would rebel. And then they wouldn't continue to teach their children and the children's children. Did you forget all that God has done? So he's, he's writing this and just showing all of, all of this kind of a history. Psalm 78 is really sort of a history that, that you're getting a chance to get a picture of in your mind. Again, I have underlined in there, verse 22, they did not believe in God. Verse 33, they still sinned and did not believe in his wonderful works. Over and over, you see this belief is attached to obedience. If they believed, they obeyed. If they did not believe, they did not obey. That's, that's really over and over how, how you see it. it, it it's, it's brought up. Very good, very good, exactly. So that's why if you believe in Jesus and his words, he says, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, right? So if you believe that statement, then you'll be baptized. If you do not believe that statement, you will not be baptized. You see, that's, it's the, so that's the confusion of faith and works in that, that people were like, no, you're saved by faith only. So it's, it's, you know, faith and works, it's belief and obedience is a better translation. Correct. 
So if you, and, and that, that's a biblical translation. If you, if you, in your notes, if, in you guys' Bible notes, if you will put in your Bible Romans 1, 5 and Romans 16, 26, basically Paul says that he was preaching to bring about an obedience of faith. Wait, what kind of faith? An obedience of faith. You see, it's an obedient faith. So Romans 1, uh, 5 or 6, and then Romans 16, 26, they're at the very beginning of the book of Romans and at the very end of the book of Romans. It's like, a, like okay, this whole book of Romans is going to show how you are saved by grace. You are saved by faith and not by works. The whole book, it talks about that. But at the beginning and at the end, he says, I'm going to be preaching and teaching to show you the obedience of faith. And you're like, wait, what? I thought the whole book of Romans is you can't earn your way to heaven. Correct. And it's obedient faith. You see, when you believe, you'll obey. If you don't believe, then you won't obey. So if God told Noah, I'm going to flood the whole world with water. I need you to build an ark. If he says, I believe you, God. But he did not build the ark. What would have happened? He'd be dead. Right? So did, did building the ark earn him his salvation? Did he deserve it? Or was he just merely acting out of an obedience of faith that I, because I believe God and God told me to build the ark, God's the one who told me to do it. So if I believe his word, then I'm going to do it. You see, that's, that's the struggle with our denominational friends is so many of them is it's grace alone, faith alone, and, and so they're, they're, they're missing out on this concept here that you see what happens is in spite of all of this, they still sinned. Why? They did not believe. You see, if you don't believe, then you'll disobey. If you do believe, you'll obey. That's, that's really the concept of biblical faith. That if you guys can get that, we are not trying to earn our salvation. You are merely doing what God has said, and, and I trust him. I, I trust that this is good, therefore I obey it. Because you cannot earn your way. Please be very careful. We do not want to teach that you have to earn your way to, to be saved. That, that's very unbiblical. Um, that scripture says the demons right demons believe but they refuse to do it right they, they refuse to to obey right so demons believe in god they they fear god but they are re refuse to obey god see there's 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 the thing that you have to look at okay so let's let's go back to verse um verse uh 34 and uh and I want, there's a couple more that, that you're going to see here. When God killed them, then they sought him out and returned and searched diligently for God. And they remembered, see, there it is, not until he gave them a hard discipline, right? I mean, he smacked them where people died. Then they remembered that God was their rock and the most high God, their redeemer, but, verse 36, but they deceived him with their mouth, and they lied to 
him with their tongue, for their heart was not steadfast toward him, nor were they faithful in his covenant. But he, being compassionate, forgave their iniquity and did not destroy them. And often he restrained his anger and did not arouse all his wrath. Thus he remembered they were but flesh, a wind that passes and does not return. That, that's a verse that, man, he remembered that they were flesh. He remembers that we're weak, right? That, that we are weak in the flesh and uh, that, that he remembers that. But it reminds me when I, when I read that, that they deceived God and their heart was not steadfast toward them. How many of us have, we were talking about this earlier, um, how many of us have, have made those promises to God, like, God, you know, this is the last time, you know, I know this is it, you know, and then, then the next thing you know, we, 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 we go off again. And I'm not talking about um, those sins that we battle against. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about this, this uh, just willful, just nothing is going to happen to me. God is going to do, he, he'll forgive me no matter what. I'm not talking about those things that we all battle with that, that we've said not going to do it and then I do it again. But this is a different attitude. And we talked about this on Sunday. This is that attitude that I want what I want and I'm, I'm going to get it and God's going to, he's going to be okay with it, right? I'm seeing this and uh, I guess I've never thought about it this way. But for those who believe in the once save, always save, um, have you come across maybe an argument to, against that? from the Old Covenant. So I'm looking at verses 9. It says that uh, they turned their back in the day of battle. They did not keep the covenant of God. So obviously when, when, the, when the relationship that was once taken advantage of by the blood of Christ, right, that covenant is not held on or adhered to by us, right? And then that, at some point, God leaves us and we forsake him, right? We leave him. Correct. We leave our covenant Correct. that we made with him. And so I'm just kind of saying, I've, I've never thought about making um, an argument against the one save, always save from, I mean, even in Psalms, verse, uh, verse 9 and then verse 37 says, For their heart was not steadfast with him, nor were they faithful in his covenant. Correct. So you're not just faithful to him, you're faithful upon the agreement you made with him. That's right. So, so how can God create the covenant here? He made the covenant with the people here, and then he gives them time. You're talking, again, you're not dealing with one person, right? You're, you're dealing with an entire group of people. So this is 500 years between Moses. So there, there's examples of unfaithfulness and unbelief and disobedience. But eventually, this is the example that I see is that when the ten tribes just continue in idolatry, he sent them prophet after prophet after prophet. He disciplined them. And eventually, he says, enough. And he cuts them off. So all of those who were faithful, it looks like they fled down to Judah. But all the rest that wanted that sinful lifestyle and idolatry and all of that, God said, enough. I'm, I'm, I'm done with you. And so they leave. Then that was to be a wake-up call for Judah and the two southern tribes. And 
basically they continue to get worse and worse and God sends them prophet after prophet and sign after sign trying to discipline, turn them, get them. And eventually he says, enough. The temple is destroyed. Everything is done away with. Like he says, you have broken my covenant. And that's why Jeremiah is right here. He says, behold, days are coming when I will create a new covenant with my people. Not like the one that I created here in which they broke, even though I was a husband to them. He says, now I'm going to make a new covenant. And those people that were unfaithful, they were cut off. They're not allowed to be his people. He is not going to continue in a relationship when you are in deliberate disobedience, willful rebellion. He's not, he's not going to stay in that. The condition that we read on Sunday is if they will repent in any stage, in any stage, if they will repent, he will keep that covenant. But if they refuse to repent and continue that lifestyle, you're cut off. You're cut off. Yeah, Ken? Usually the, uh, the reform, you know, Calvinistic ideology kind of, uh, you know, they'll say, well, you know, oh, they fell away. They just didn't have faith in the first place. I Correct. Question they actually had faith. And when you go back and look at the Old Testament, yeah. how many times did God's people flat out just leave him? I mean, are we going to say they just didn't have faith at all? I mean, Correct. You can't sustain that throughout the Old Testament. Right. Exactly. For those of you that, that haven't heard about a lot of Calvin teachings, uh, um, it's a teaching that, that there's several things. One of them is once saved, always saved. Like once you're saved, you can never be lost. Uh, you can never be taken outside of God's family. And people will be like, well, what about Judas with Jesus? And, and so examples like that, their argument is, well, they never truly believed. They acted like they believed, but they didn't truly believe. So they were never actually brought into the family of God. They were always outside of the family of God. They had a certain type of belief, kind of a fake belief, but they were never truly inside. So, yeah, I appreciate you bringing that up. So that, that's, a, that's a good example, right? Is that's what we're seeing. Is, is this an example of that there's this disfellowshipping, that there's this covenant is broken, and I'm not going to stay in that, right? So I, I see that happening there um, twice, right? That, that they are not able to, to maintain that, so. Well, and that's a good, I mean, that's a great example for us to think about relationships in general. We just, I mean, we're continually, continually talking about relationships and how really that's what the church is, right? It's, it's full of relationships. And so how does God treat a relationship when he's constantly being, just uh, just run over and and, and and acted disobediently and just treated like garbage. You know, obviously he still has um, 37 and 38 full of compassion, but you know, is there a point where you're just like, man, I love you, but you know, well, that's not that's not what I'm for. Is is that punching bag or that correct. you know to be beat up and treated like garbage? And, and this, it's interesting that you bring this up about our relationships because this is the direction our, our conversation went on Sunday morning. We got into talking about disfellowshipping because 
God, we are in a relationship, right? And then when we are his people, we're in a relationship. So if, if we were to look at this, basically, if somebody sins against you, what are you supposed to do? Go to them privately, one-on-one, -on -one, and confront them. You give them time to repent. If they do not repent, you take two or three, or, or one or two to make a witness of two or three. And what you're trying to do is rebuke them. You're trying to bring them back the direction they're going. You're trying to rebuke that and get them back on the path. Give them time. If they refuse, then what? You tell it to the whole church because then the whole church can be praying for them and, and talking to them, rebuking them, encouraging them, trying to get them back and saying, man, don't leave this. What Jesus, don't forget. Don't forget how much Jesus gave up to save you. Don't forget how wonderful this life is. Don't forget the promises of eternal life. So the whole church is just trying to, to help them. But if they refuse, then what does God say? Then you disfellowship them, right? There's, a, there's not a relationship there like you had before. That relationship has been broken because Ultimately, it is a sign, it is a symbol of what relationship has also been broken. So if I'm supposed to break this relationship, the only reason God is telling me to break this relationship is because the relationship between me and God has been cut. If God is cutting that relationship, he's saying, I'm cutting that relationship with them. Therefore, as my people, you are also supposed to be cutting that relationship. And that's the challenge is people, when God has cut this relationship, they're like, oh, no, we're still, we're still good. And God is saying, no, now you're going against what I told you to do. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 5. He's like, what are you guys doing? This person is in the, in the body. They're, they're causing the whole body to, to sin. He says, you need to put them out of your midst. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, he says, you're sleeping with your father's wife. And what was the church doing? They were continuing in the same type of relationship when God was saying, cut that off. You see, so, so it's interesting that, that this is a relationship with God, but these same principles are relationships with, with people, right? That you cannot just sin against people and say the relationship has to continue on. God doesn't even do that, right? God doesn't even do that. So... Anyway, I don't know if that makes sense to you guys. So, so I had in there that you can see all of these things that, um, that God has done. And then in verse 40, how often they rebelled against him in the wilderness. And we talked about this on Sunday as well. Grieved him. On Sunday we saw grieved his Holy Spirit, right? They grieved him again and again. They tempted God and pained the Holy One of Israel. And then from verse 42, in my notes, I have 42 all the way down to verse 55. Okay, if you guys are taking notes, from 42 all the way down to verse 55, we see all that God has done. Remember I talked about on, in Leviticus 26, if you keep my 
commandments, then these are all the blessings. Well, from 42 all the way to 55, it's kind of the same thing. Like here's all the good things that God did, all the blessings from 42 to 55. So it says, they did not remember. There it is again. They did not remember his power. And now he's going to show them all that God has done. When the day when he redeemed them, when he performed his signs, his marvels, he turned the rivers into blood, the streams that they, they could not, he sent the swarms of flies, frogs which destroyed them, crops of grasshoppers, and on and on, lightning, and he sent upon him his burning anger, and just goes all the way down to verse 55. So he brought them to his holy land, to his hill country, which his right hand had gained, he also drove out the nations before them and apportioned them an inheritance by measurement and made tribes to dwell in their tents. Let me just remind all of you guys, all of this history, all that God blessed them, blessed them, blessed them, blessed them, delivered them, saved them, provided, protected over and over and over. Yet. Yet they tempted and rebelled against the Most High God and did not keep his testimonies but turned back and acted treacherously like their fathers. They turned aside like a treacherous bow for they provoked him with their high places and aroused his jealousy with graven images. For they provoked him with their high places and aroused him with their graven images. That's the verse, so 56 through 58. 56 through 58 is, is basically, again, what they did. They tempted. They rebelled. They turned back. They turned aside. They provoked him. They aroused his jealousy. Now, verses 59 through 64, we're going to see how God curses them, basically. So he's reminding them how God disciplined, cursed them, punished them. In all of this, when God heard about their disobedience and rebelliousness, when God heard, he was filled with wrath. So remember how last time we see that there's, there's grief and wrath at the same time. When, we're, when we have somebody that we love, that we care about, especially our kids, and they go against us, against truth, against what's against God it hurts I mean it's like they betrayed us and at the same time you're furious you're furious because it hurts so bad right that's why they, they say it's there's a thin line between love and hate right because those that we love the most are the closest we've been most vulnerable with them and when they turn and hurt us, I mean, it hurts. But it also creates an anger. Because how could you? Right? It's, so it's, it's confusing. It's, but that's God. It says that's what God is going through. And I think that as parents, like, to feel that is like, man, if God goes through that, Unbelievable, unbearable, right? To have to feel that. 
And yet that's what God is, is reaching out. And that's so sometimes that, that, that you see such compassion, like a love and a patience that you're like, how could he? But then you see the other side of it where he just drops the hammer and you're like, how could he? You know, I mean, it, it's like both, you know, that, that, that you're really getting a chance to see the nature and the character of God. And so all the way down through verse 64, it talks about all the, the things that, that he did, right? That, that um, he was filled, he greatly abhorred Israel, he abandoned the dwelling place at Shiloh, um, he gave up his strength to captivity, gave them into the hands of the adversary, he delivered his people to the sword, he devoured, fire devoured the young men and virgins. They had no wedding songs. His priests were killed by the sword. Widows could not weep. Verse 65, Then the Lord awoke as if from sleep like a warrior overcome by wine. He drove his adversaries backward. He put them on an everlasting reproach. He also rejected the tent of Joseph and did not choose the tribe of Ephraim. By the way, that verse 67 is a little clue. of why pretty confident that Psalm 68 is here and not during the time of David. Because it's saying here in verse 67 that Ephraim and Joseph he did not keep. Well, guess which parts of the tribes they were in. So it seems like that has already happened. It seems like the northern tribes have already been put away. And that's why in verse 67. So that those are little bitty clues as you're studying the Bible that I wouldn't pick out, but but it's like he, he didn't keep he didn't keep them, right? Verse 67. He rejected the tent of Joseph. He did not choose the tribe of Ephraim, but chose the tribe of Judah. Where's Judah at? That was one of the only ones that, that, that was <coughs> saved from the, from the Assyrians, right? Um, so Mount Zion, which is Jerusalem, which he loved, and he built his sanctuary like the heights, like the earth, which he has founded forever. He also chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheepfolds, from the care of the ewes and suckling lambs he brought them. So, um, so you see... Again, this psalm here is, is really helping us to, to kind of get a history. You're getting that history from when he made the first covenant with the people all the way over here to where it sounds like he's not accepting Joseph and Ephraim and, and those guys, but has chosen Judah. But they're just like telling them over and over. And the reminder is... Don't forget. Don't forget. Okay? So what are some lessons that we can, we can learn from this? What are some lessons that we can get from this? What are some things that you can read this, meditate on it, and then say, okay, what can I learn? What can I apply to my life? Yeah, Julie.
Yeah. Yeah. Keep your promises. Right. I mean, again, we are human. We all struggle with that. But but there are times that that I can make a promise and say, I will not break this. You know, if you guys have ever heard this story, forgive me. I'll probably tell it again. But um, there there's this guy that that he was in his 80s or something like that. And and he never missed Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. He just never missed. And and somebody said, just how, how do you do that? Like, how, how do you do that? He's like, it, it's easy. I made a decision 50 years ago when I became a Christian. I was not going to miss. So he's like, when I wake up, I don't decide that day. I made a decision 50 years ago that I was going. And I just, I just kept it, you know? And, and so that's it. You just, when you make up your mind, it's like when you decide to be faithful to your husband or to your wife, you made that commitment and you're saying, I will not go back, right? I'm just not going to go back. Now, you can't control the other person, but as far as what I'm going to do, I'm going to, to stay faithful, right? So, so keep your promises. Yeah, Russ? Um, at the beginning portion, like they forgot, they forgot, they forgot. And we do communion. Sometimes I think we don't realize that God is trying to keep us from forgetting. He's just going to remind us weekly that you have a covenant. I'm still here. But we it's just a reminder. And sometimes we just take it. We're just done. Oh, yeah. That's what I'm supposed to do today. Right. And it's God pleading with us not to forget. Right. That's a great point. I hadn't thought about that one. But what does it say? Do this in remembrance of me. You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Right. Every time I look at that red liquid, I am supposed to be reminded of that red liquid that came pouring out of his body. The blood that washes me of my sins. It's a reminder Right. As I look at that bread that I'm supposed to be thinking of the body that absorbed my sins and carried it on the cross. That's the memorial. Don't forget. Right. Good one. Yeah, Carol. Um, to stay focused on him and keep his commandments and stay faithful on being with your, being with your church body. Okay. Yeah, yeah, to stay focused on him, okay? I noticed the word, well, that they tempted him. That's a lot different from they fell away or they forgot. It, they, they knew him, and they did knowingly what was against him. Because, like, there's a lot of words used in here. They could have used the same one, but they did yeah and I can't remember uh, the word tempted and tested are very very close words um, and so either way you are testing him like basically putting him and that that you're not supposed to put the Lord your God to the test except in one thing right Malachi you know test me in my giving and I'll provide for you just watch I'll provide for you but other than that um, what is the temptation of Jesus? Do not put the Lord your God to, to the test, right? That, that you're not supposed to, hey, Satan tells Jesus, hey, stand up here, don't jump off, you know, and the angels will, 
we'll, we'll catch you. <laughs> Think about that. It's like Christ went out to the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. Satan tempted him. This is Israel tempting In the wilderness. So they're in the wilderness for 40 years. Jesus is in the wilderness for 40 days. Satan is tempting them. They're tempting, testing God, right, in all of these challenges, these difficulties. I mean, there's so many lines that, that, that kind of play through there. Yeah, Arlinda? I'm, I'm studying the book of Numbers right now, and it's just amazing that thousands of people have died, 10, 30,000 and then yet um, they, they interact with their neighbors and they start worshiping idols, and then God sends a plague on them. They still don't learn. Yeah. It amazes me. But then it says that Moses was the most humblest man, you know, ever. And yet when he struck that rock, he was still punished because he couldn't get his own slain. That's right. So, exactly. So I'm amazed at that, but then I look at myself and there are times where I do believe and come back to him. Yeah. I'm glad about that verse Yes, he remembers that they are but flesh. And I think some versions say that he remembers that they are but dust. I like that. He remembers that they're just dust. I have a question, though. Um, as I'm reading that, you know, there's, there's God the Father, and then there's the angel of the Lord leading them, and then there's the Spirit. So is it God the Father that is talking to Moses and, and putting this lamp out, and not God the Son? Me too. <laughs> it, it's yeah. When we've been studying the angel of the Lord, um, it, it 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 says the angel of the Lord, yet Yahweh. So it's it 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 goes back and forth. It'll so yes. It it's yeah. So it seems to show that Jesus is speak like Jesus pre pre the flesh is speaking. Uh, the Father, I mean, so yeah, it, it'll use Yahweh as what we would think of as the Father, Yahweh as the Son. Then we see the Holy Spirit is 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 in there. So it, it's very interesting that that all of all of those are are there. And I wonder since um, God hasn't come down in the flesh Yeah, perfect advocate, Hebrews chapter 4, right? Yeah, Ezekiel. It's important to remember that Christ says himself, I, I do the Father's will. They, they are one in accord. So there's never going to be a point in the Bible where you're like, oh, God the Father's doing this. They're, they're both. Yeah. They're, they're one, you know. And yeah. So and how they play that out, you know, there's lots of lots of questions on that. But, Yeah. Let's go to num Numbers 11 real quick. I wanted to just read this for you guys because it was in Psalm 78. Um, go to Numbers 11. Speaking of numbers that Arlinda is studying here. <clears throat> so they, they're, they're coming out of Numbers 11, 16. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I, I wanted to, to get this to you, that the people are complaining that they didn't have water. So God provides water. Then they complain that they don't have food. 
So God creates the bread on the ground. Then they're complaining that they don't have meat. And so that's why it says, can, they, can God set up a table in the, in the desert? So now Moses is complaining to God, saying, God, why did you put me in this, uh, in this position? I don't, I don't want to lead these people. They're all, you know, rebelling against me, and it's too hard. So God, in verse 16, Numbers eleven sixteen says, he said, get 70 men of the elders, <clears throat> and they will help... Um, basically carry your load. <clears throat> Verse 17, then I will come down and speak with you there and I will take I will take of the spirit who is upon you and I will put him on them and they shall bear the burden of the people with you so that you will not bear it alone. So the people so to the people say consecrate yourselves for tomorrow and you shall eat meat for you have wept in the ears of the Lord saying, "Oh that someone would give us meat to eat." For we were well off in Egypt. Oh, it was so much better before God was in control. It was better when we were slaves. Therefore, the Lord will give you meat and you shall eat. You shall eat not one day, nor two days, nor five days, nor 10 days, nor 20 days, but a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and it becomes loathsome to you because you rejected the Lord who is among you and have wept before him saying, why did we ever leave Egypt? And you're going to go on and see that he's going to kill a whole bunch of them because he's like, you guys keep complaining and complaining and complaining and I provide. And even once I give you food, you still don't even give thanks. You still don't even say thanks for the food, God. Thanks for the meat. I know we were complaining about the meat. Now we got plenty of meat. And I'm not even going to thank you for it. And I'm going to complain that all we have is this quail. Day in, day out. Day in, day out. Same thing. Arrogance. Complaining. Lack of humility. Just lack of gratitude. And God just says enough. It is serious when God comes against you. And so these are lessons that we can look for. So some of the lessons that I had, number one, forgetfulness, ingratitude, idolatry, and unfaithfulness. So those are some things that we can very easily fall into, that we can very easily forget all that God has done. We can very easily forget to give him thanks for all that we have. We can very easily fall into idolatry and put other things before God. And number four, that we are unfaithful to the promise that we entered into a covenant relationship with him. Those are some things that we can really think of and, and learn from. So, okay. Thank you guys for your time.